If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get a kind of a recap of what we talk about today, some questions to talk to your friends, your family, your gospel community, to go a little bit deeper into what we talk about today. On the back side, we're just covering one verse, so it's right there. <laughs> Underneath that, there's a place for some notes. So you can take some notes with that. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You'll click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to live and to walk in freedom, to trust you with our lives, and that in that trusting of you and the freedom that we have, the world around us would see what a gracious and good God that we serve and that you have come to call us to yourself and that you would gain great glory by how your people live in the freedom that you have provided. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing a trek to the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week 19, and today we hit chapter 5. Woohoo! I know, if you're new, you're like, I don't know what that means. We've been in chapter 3 and 4 for a very long time. We're going to do four weeks in chapter 5, four weeks in chapter 6, and we will end the book. You are just going to think, you just know so much about the book of Galatians by the time we're done with this. And then you're going to open it up a couple years from now and read it and be like, I don't remember any of this. But that's okay. The podcast will be online. (laughs) You can get it. All right. So Paul has done a whole lot of theological work so far in the book of Galatians. And a lot of that has been trying to explain to these people, the Jewish history of where the ideas of salvation and Christ coming as the Messiah, where that all comes out of, because they weren't Jewish. And so we've taken a lot of time talking about Jewish history and being children of Abraham and what all of that actually looks like, because we can end up in the same place that they were. When you don't know the Jewish history, you might come to a place where you start to think that I get to live in grace, but grace is grace plus something else. I need to have some rituals some sign. I've got to do some works in order to be saved. Paul has done all this groundwork to show we trust in the goodness of God. God in the person of Christ has fulfilled all that is required to be in relationship with him. And it's beautiful. Paul is now moving into places of encouragement for the people in Galatia, which means we get to be encouraged as well, which is great. Paul's first line of Galatians chapter 5 kind of sums up all of the previous week so far. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that today. I love how N.T. Wright talks about chapter 5 and how it begins because he starts with this analogy and it works really well. Maybe not for people in California on the Central Coast, but a lot of other people because he talks about lakes and rivers freezing over. He talks about this area in Montreal that's Canada. It's another country. I know, okay, whatever, but anyway, and they have a lake with tributaries, and during the winter, this freezes over to a depth of about 
10 feet. And when that happens, you have people who can drive across it, not just snowmobiles, but cars and trucks and vans. And all of a sudden getting across the lake is so much faster than driving the hours around the lake. And so there comes a time then in late March, mid-April, when it starts to melt. And when it starts to melt, you no longer want to drive across it. Some townspeople will take a car and they will put it in the middle of the lake. So when that car starts to sink, it's like, oh, don't drive on the lake anymore. Anymore. The lake will become unfrozen, the boats will come out and move across it, ferries will go out there, and if you want to go to the other side, hop on the ferry or drive hours and hours around. So N.T. Wright's illustration goes something like this. Paul's point is that spring has come for the people of God. For thousands of years, fellowship of, with God was established through observance of the law. The law is like the lake. It's like winter. It's frozen over. This is how you get across. Here's the rules of the road to get you across. But he says the law was always a time of winter, a time of waiting. In the winter, you have different modes of travel. Snow skis, snowshoes, snowmobiles, things like that. If you saw someone in downtown Santa Maria walking around in snow shoes. Most of you wouldn't recognize what they were. It's like you got tennis rackets on your feet. That looks weird. Or skis. You'd be like, that's really odd. Because if you're not on ice, those things don't make any sense at all. All those modes of travel are inappropriate when it's not winter season. And he says this, but if you become so keen on them, those old modes of travel, that you don't want to abandon them in spring, you're going to be stuck at the water's edge or maybe even risk trying to get across the ice when the ice will no longer hold your weight. So to use the illustration as it relates to the law, the false teachers that Paul is talking about in the area of Galatia want these people in Galatia to try and cross the lake by using old means. And Paul says, you can't cross the lake in your car because the lake is thawed. And the false teachers are like, but this is how we've always done it. This is our rituals. This is what we do. This is how we get across. But the lake is not ice any longer. There's a new way across in Jesus. And it's a great analogy. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. If you are using one of the Bibles of Elements on page 632. And today I am just going to give you some encouragement and a lot of recap of what we talked about so far as we move forward. The legalists that Paul is talking about here had developed all kinds of rules of the road for getting across the lake. The big one is that every male needed to be circumcised. Circumcision would be like getting in your car and starting the engine. You turn the key, you take off the foreskin. That's a sign you're serious about. God. Now, I got to tell you, for grown male Gentiles, that's pretty serious right there. You're able to start the car, journey across the lake. But Paul says the whole point is that route across the lake through the law of the Old Testament is no longer available. Spring has come, the ice is melted, and there's a new way over the lake. Spring isn't a bad thing. Spring is a glorious thing with brand new life coming about. God has brought about a new age. It has broken in upon this world, and winter will never, ever come again. N.T. Wright says this, the Messiah has established the fleet of boats that will take across anyone prepared to leave their old vehicles on the shore. And if the Galatians, these Gentiles, are persuaded to get themselves circumcised, they're being persuaded to try and start their cars. 
and drive across by a means that's no longer there. The ice is already melting through. There's no way across by our works. It's only by faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be a no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, like circumcision severs. You, who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And this is really what I want to talk to you guys about today, that we would stop looking for so many ways across the lake, and we would simply trust the good news and the grace of God, the provision that He has provided for us in Christ. And if you were here last week, I wish I could just take that message and this message and give you one hour-long message, stick them together, because they just go hand in hand as it talks about freedom. Paul says, if you get circumcised for the purpose of following the law. Now, I say that because not everybody gets circumcised for the purpose of the law. I was circumcised as a baby. It's probably too much information. You don't need to know that. But it wasn't for the law. It wasn't for the law. I don't even remember it. But if you do get circumcised for the purpose of following the law, then you are essentially committing yourself to trying to keep the entire Old Testament law. For them, circumcision isn't a minor ritual or a thing you do on the side. In addition to trusting Jesus as your Savior, it's really viewing salvation in an entirely different way. It's, and so I know circumcision isn't our issue today. We don't walk around asking people, have you been circumcised? That'd just be awkward. Um, but we typically will add things to salvation for one another to see the litmus test of how serious you are about Jesus. It could be how you vote. It could be the music you listen to. It could be the TV shows you watch. I used to make fun of people and say, well, if you're really a Christian, you wouldn't drink light beer. So whatever. <laughs> or country music. But anyway, Paul is telling the Galatians that going along with the false teachers, this ritual is only the beginning. Because the only point to being circumcised in this way is if you are intending to submit in every other way to the Old Testament law and to the discipline of the Jewish synagogue. So you go back to the analogy, the only point of starting your car that way is if you're going to try and drive it across the lake. So for Paul, for us, the choice becomes absolute. We cannot have it both ways. If we want to walk in relationship with Jesus, which is now the only way to get across that lake, we cannot cling to the law. And if we do cling to the law, we're declaring we don't really want to belong to Jesus. What we want to do is do all the work ourselves, and we think that puts God beholden to us and in our debt. Paul will say in verse 5, which we'll get to next week, that we either trust God's Spirit to bring us into right relationship with God, or we're going to trust ourselves. And trusting ourselves never works. So we have been set free by the, by the gospel. What has Paul said so far that we have been set free from? Three main things. Number one is this, empty religion. You have been set free from empty religion. This is a passionless religion that has, has no joy or life in it. And when I say passionless, passionless religion, I don't mean a personality type. Like, my height of passion may look like you sleeping. That is not what he's talking about. So when we talk about passionless religion, that is a religion that's focused on ourselves. There is no joy in it. A true relationship with God is focused on who Jesus is. Lifeless legalism, it always feels overwhelming. You're never going to measure up. God is always angry with you because you're not doing the right thing. The gospel brings a joy and a satisfaction to life that empty religion does not. 
What else are we set free from? Secondly, fear-based behavioral modification. A lot of people, you'll see this today, they'll say, oh, I can't go to church. Lightning would strike me. Oh, I've got to clean myself up before I go here into this. No, God wants you as you are. You come in. Christ's blood has covered you. Your sins are forgiven. We don't live in a fear-based behavioral modification. So many people try to be better people to avoid God spanking them with this cosmic spatula. That is not how it works. God is not like our culture. God's not out there to cancel you. God wants to bring you in and love you and restore you. And that means we get to live in joy and freedom. And third thing, we are set free from the pursuit of pleasures that never deliver what they promise. They never deliver what they promise. We constantly get told if we do this or do that, then the universe or karma are going to reward us. And yet you always feel let down because it never delivers what you or I truly need. If we can simplify that, what Paul says is you get free from trying to be your own God. That's what you're set free from. And almost no one says it that way. No one walks around thinking, yeah, I want to be my own God. We all want to be our own God. We all want to call the shots for our lives and for the world around us. We all look at the crazy things in our culture and we're like, if I were king, I would do this. Because we all want to be God. And you have to understand when you want to be your own God, it's an impossible weight that you place upon your own shoulders without realizing it. If you are your own God, there are certain things in your life that you then have to answer for you. Number one is, what is your purpose in life? You've got to figure that out. See, our culture runs around telling us we have to figure out by following our hearts, following our hearts, what our purpose is. And so people try and find all their purpose in personal relationships, their jobs, their accomplishment, their kids, their gender identity. We seek in all of these areas that do not work and we get more and more depressed. You have to understand that your worth and value has been given to you by God. God has said who you are. It's not something you have to go and find. It's something that has been given to you. And secondly, you gotta figure out what do you do with suffering and loss? You know, well, what about what do I do with joy? No one ever asked that question, okay? Really, you, what do you do with suffering and loss? Because everybody in their life is going to have suffering and loss somewhere, including those who call themselves Christians. So if you don't have God as your God, you try to figure that out on your own. And many times when we can't find answers on our own, people look up at God and they say, God, you didn't give me the answers. I'm so mad at you. But we never looked to Him for answers in the first place. We never trusted Him for the things that He has said. We're always like, it can't be my fault. It's got to be somebody else's. If you're your own God, you have to rely on you for everything. And people live this way. This can be being self-confident. I've got everything together and living the right way. It could be no self-confidence, feeling worthless. But both of those things still focus upon ourselves. And Paul is telling us something we desperately need to hear. You know what that is? You have been set free from all of that. From all of that, you don't have to be God because there is one and he's not you. Thank God, right? <laughs> not you. You walk around going, thank me. I'm not thanking you. I'm thanking him. Here's part of the text that I love. This, this, what purpose have you been set free for? For freedom, for freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. The whole point in the Old Testament when God keeps setting his people free so they could be who he called them to be. 
they could truly live in freedom, and that is freedom to worship Him and be who we were called to be. And I've talked about this before. Steve has talked about this before. But there are two types of freedom. There is freedom from, and then there's freedom for. Like in our culture, when we hear freedom, we think, I have freedom from anybody telling me what to do. But there is also a freedom for that we get called into. There's a freedom for living the kind of life that we were made to live. There's a freedom for being the person our souls long to become. Freedom for. And that freedom for is so much more of an internal freedom. And that lack of internal freedom is much more dehumanizing and much more tragic than any external constraint. How do we actually become free? How do we live in freedom? We turn our life and our will over to Jesus, someone who is greater than we are. We recognize there is an order. There is a way we are designed that we are not the center of the universe. We are not the master of our fate. There is a God. There is a God, and He loves us. And this is why when you understand true freedom, it results in true worship. Now, I was reading something a while ago where the writer was saying that this freedom aspect is something that is so hard to sink into Americans because of the particular way that we look at things, like we're individualistic and I have my rights and I want all these things. But I think it's bigger than America because I think if you think about it, eventually you get to the place when you trust in Christ, you realize I have been set free from Satan's sin and death and condemnation and all that. But we really don't settle in the place where we understand that we've been saved to or for something. We've been saved to the freedom of knowing God's affection for you does not waver despite our persistent failures and shortcomings. We have been freed to enjoy a life that is not centered in ourselves. The writer says it like this, we've been set free to pursue at the highest level the pleasures that bring about life, vitality, and real living as opposed to the enslaved type of pleasure that carries with it the aftertaste of guilt and shame. I think if you think about it, you, you know what he's talking about. We think freedom is geared towards our desires so often. And when people do, when they think, oh, I've got all this freedom, they start thinking, okay, it's all about me. I'm going to run out. I'm going to smoke this and drink that and sleep with that. And the next thing you know, you wake up the next day and your head's in the toilet. You got an ointment from your doctor and all your money is gone. And you realize your freedom wasn't freedom. It wasn't. It was just slavery. Can I not say that? Was that wrong? <laughs> I, I heard someone go, ah, and I was like, Oh, too far? Okay, whatever. If you... <laughs> I don't know these things. Ask the staff. They're always like, you can't say that. Okay, whatever. All right. If we boil down a cultural definition of freedom to one sentence, it would probably be, we think freedom is ultimately being able to do what I want to do most. And then if you try to block people from that, they feel like you have taken their freedom away. And what the Bible just said is in Jesus Christ, you've been set free from all of that from all of that, to actually walk in real freedom. Freedom from you. Freedom from you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What does that mean? Well, part of it is that we have to be honest about what is going on inside of us, the things that our hearts desires and where they naturally drift to. I can give you an example about myself. I know what Jesus has done for me. I talk to you about the gospel every week. I can explain it to you. Even when I say, hey, what's the gospel? And you're like, no, no, no. Okay, so I, I explain it all the time. I know he saved me in himself. I know grace is true and real. And yet, some days, most days, I still wake up and I start trying to earn my salvation. I start drifting. I, I, I got to get up earlier. I got to work harder. I got to be at every event. I got to act spiritual. I got to seem like I have all of the answers. I can't struggle with anything because what do people think if I struggle with stuff? 
but that means I'm not actually enjoying my freedom. I am back to try and earn an affection that the Bible says is already mine. That's what's happening. Now, I've talked to people about this sometimes, and I've had people say to me, yeah, but that's a good problem to have. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's a good, because, you know, at least you're not lazy and sitting around doing nothing. I'll tell you, it's not a better problem to have. It's not. Because people who sit around and maybe do nothing all day, they can still be trying to earn salvation just in a different way. Sometimes people will sit in the midst of their affliction and their hurt and their victimhood, and they will start to think, God owes me. I have been through this thing, so God now owes me. Like some sort of pain puts God in our debt. If I can be honest for a moment, there are times I actually feel both ways. There are things that'll happen at Element. We need somebody and ask for volunteers to do this thing and then no one volunteers. Okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'll do it. So then I go and I do it. And then nobody notices that I did it and nobody cares. So I'm like, God, look at how hard I'm working. God, look, nobody noticed. You owe me. So and I'm like, I, I get it both ways. I'm just, ah. You guys should volunteer more. All right. <laughs> Sometimes I start to doubt that God has set me free for freedom's sake. Sometimes I think that God has set me free so that I can work harder. And that is not true. He has set me free for freedom's sake. And there are lies that get told in my own heart. So I know there are lies that get told in your heart as well. And I can find myself believing that God is not ultimately about freedom. I've got to start the car. I've got to drive across the lake. I've got to find the path. And this is really, if you think about it, how our entire, entire culture views who God is, especially when he tells us not to do something that we really want to do. What is true freedom? Is true freedom finding for yourself something else that's going to enslave you? Or is real freedom trusting God for life and grace and beauty and hope? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The paradigm shift that Paul is trying to get here for us is that we would understand that in the gospel, we get saved. But the gospel doesn't just merely save us. The result of the gospel is that the gospel then sustains us. It sustains us, meaning we never move on or graduate from what the gospel is. This is why we think about it and we talk about it to one another. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. From the moment God wakes up our hearts until the moment he calls us home, we make our stand in and upon the gospel. Paul goes on, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Oh, no, I got circumcised. Is Jesus going to send me to hell now? Does Jesus no longer care about me when I fall into my own self-centered world of sin? Mellow out. Okay, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is too many of us keep trying to earn the favor of God rather than simply resting in it. And it is completely exhausting. If you have, you know, been around churches a lot, sometimes the Bible uses language that's hard for people to understand. And in many places, Paul will use this phrase to talk about our desires as they compete with God's desires, and he will call them our flesh. Now, the Bible says that when we trust in Christ, when we get that freedom, God gives us a new heart. You are born again. God's Spirit comes in. His Spirit will lead us. His Spirit will guide us. And He begins to do this word. It's a big word called sanctify us. And sanctify means that day by day, God is conforming us more to the image and likeness of His Son. His Spirit is leading us in a direction. In the book of Hebrews, it will say that He has made perfect forever by Christ's sacrifice. God sees us as He sees His Son. Perfect forever, those who are being made holy. So day by day, God grows us to who we were meant to be. And so what we mean is we 
have this holiness when we get saved as God's Spirit moves and grows us, but we still have this gap between who we will be and who we are. And essentially that gap is called the flesh. Now, the flesh for us, for some people, is really strong. For some people, it's not as strong. Some people, it's really strong, but you tell people it's not strong, but it's still really strong. But we all have this flesh in the process where God grows us. And we will all struggle with that flesh. And I want you to understand what I'm saying, because there will be days or weeks or months where it feels in your life like you have a desire, and it is just overwhelming. And you'll begin to doubt that God has set you free for freedom's sake, because this desire is so strong in you. Sometimes you're going to feel like it is impossible to say no to it. But what does Paul say? How do you stand firm? You stand firm not in your strength, not in just saying no to this thing. Your focus is meant to be on the gospel, what Jesus has done. And in the midst of those moments, ask yourself, is my focus upon my flesh and this thing, or is my focus upon what Jesus has done? Because the gospel not only saves us, as a result, it also sustains us. And some people, I know, you begin to wonder and doubt if God is really for your freedom. Because in those places where you struggle and you doubt, you're like, does God really want me to experience joy and freedom? Because if he did, this seems like it should be easier. And there is a lie that we start to hold to you, that God is more like your overlord who's trying to mold you into something you don't like. And so we start to reassert our own wills by convincing ourselves that who we say we are is more important than who God has said that we are. And every time we cease to trust God, we jump into slavery every single time. Paul says, don't put that thing back on again, whatever it was, because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Circumcision for the Jews was this external action. They believed this brought about the favor of God. I do this thing, then God is happy with me. When Paul uses the term circumcision, it's talking about a religion that is all external. You can do these things external to yourself, and it will bring about a feeling of acceptance. Our entire cultural push today, though they say it's not religious, really, it is a type of legalistic religion. It is pushing people to do certain things to get in line with what the culture wants. What is being argued in the churches of Galatia is the same thing by the Judaizers. In order for God to accept you, you must be circumcised. Follow our cultural mandate. And if you would do this thing external to yourself, then you will be in right relationship with God. You will then control your own salvation because you're doing all the things. It was a misunderstanding. It was Jesus plus something else. And Jesus plus something else is never freedom. Jesus plus something else is always slavery, every single time. Verse three, Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now again, this doesn't mean you lose your salvation. I mean, it could mean one, you never had it because your goal in your life is to follow your own self. Well, okay, you don't really want to be under grace. But it could also mean that you know who God is, but yet you keep trying to do things on your own. You're not living in the grace. You're falling away from it. You're moving around it to some type of legalistic religion. Like I say that I do many times. I've got to work harder. I've got to figure it out. And when I work really hard, that's when God really loves me. People in our culture today who run around saying, I get to decide what is right and wrong for my life. I'm free to do what I want. What they actually show is they're not free. And if you watch their lives and the things that they say, you'll see they're not really free. They're beholden to their own moral set of laws. Statistically, they have higher rates of depression. Why? I think it's that we cannot even measure up to our own laws for ourselves. 
much less the Old Testament law. We will judge everyone else who falls short and hurt us, but we even fall short of ourselves. Some people will get up in the morning and they will say, okay, I've got certain laws I'll follow today. We'll say like, no lying, no coveting. And then your spouse says, hey, do these pants make my butt look big? And you're like, no. And you're like, okay, I just lied. So today, no coveting. Okay, all right. <laughs> the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is a law factory. And we just keep producing these things. And Paul says, if you want to follow the law, you get all of the law. And the law will crush anyone because no one is so disciplined and moral and upright that we could ever be justified by any law. So Paul says, you are severed from Christ, just like the foreskin is severed. You who will be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. The reason why Paul is so dumbstruck that he keeps going through the book, he'll use words like perplexed and baffled and bewitched because it is an unbelievably moronic trade. It really is. Grace for slavery? Why would we ever do that? Grace for slavery. And yet we make it every day. And our entire culture right now is defined by this trade. Just like the Galatians, it's just in a different way. Grace is beautiful because grace, what it can do is freely acknowledge our failures. We don't have to run or hide them. It doesn't try to gloss over our shortcomings. Grace acknowledges our struggles and our shortcomings of where we are, what's behind us, what's in front of us. But here's the beauty. In grace, it acknowledges it, but it covers it. It covers it. And that's freedom. The law is never going to be a comfort. Grace is a comfort because it says God's paid the bill. You are holy. You are priceless. You are spotless. You're beloved by God. The law cannot and will not ever say that to you. Whether it's Judaism or your own personal law that you make up, it will do nothing but condemn because that is all that the law can do. Grace will let you know you have shortcomings, but you can actually acknowledge those shortcomings. It covers them and brings us sweetness because grace points out our shortcomings, but then leads us to remember that we are saved and sustained by God himself. That's the good news. That's the good news. It's not about getting your car to run correctly so you can drive across the thought ice. We are a people who have freedom because our God has given us grace. And our cars, in the end, are simply meaningless. They're meaningless. I believe that God wants every single one of us to be a people who understand that we have been adopted as His sons and daughters. And what that means is God desired us. God wanted us. We don't have to work our way into His good graces because we've all ran away from Him. And so God is the one who does the work to draw us to Himself. And I think maybe our prayer should be, Jesus, teach me how to walk in the freedom that you've given me. Teach me how to walk in this grace. I hear the gospel. I understand it. But I want to walk in ways that teach me how to live as the result of what that has done so I can live a new hope and new life. Most people I know who really, really struggle with a lot of things in their life will spend a lot of time focusing on themselves and their own issues and not on the gospel. And I know that something, sounds something like a preacher would say, and I just said it, so whatever. But Paul couldn't be more clear with the Galatians about what ultimately counts in life. It is the gospel. The gospel brings freedom from all of our dead ways that, and it will take us to places of real life and joy because we have been set free. And like I said, what I want you today is to hear, to be encouraged. Be encouraged. Paul, if you've been here for, if you're new today, be encouraged. Freedom in Christ. If you've been here for the entire Galatians series, this is the kind of where Paul gets to the practical spots of this. You've been set free. All the stuff that you've heard, everything that we've walked through, the beauty is that you have been set free for freedom's sake. You get to live and walk in that freedom. And when you stumble, 
be encouraged because the gospel still covers that stumbling. God is the one who sustains us. We don't sustain ourselves. And that means we get to walk in grace and life. We get to walk in freedom. You don't have to walk around always looking over your shoulder. You get to walk in life in ways that walk with God himself and understand that his favor and his blessing rests upon you because of what he has done. And that should bring us all to a place where we live out our lives in joy because our God has rescued and saved us. This is one of the reasons every week we come to communion. It is a reminder of what God has done to bring about our freedom in Christ. And so you take that cracker and you break it. You know, it's, it's not magical, but it is a very spiritual moment, I think, between us and God when you realize Christ's body was broken for me. As you break the cracker, you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder that Jesus' blood was shed in my place because my blood can't atone for me. And so we trust what he has done. And then we lay our burdens down there and we start to live and walk in life because our salvation is found in Christ alone. And as a result, we get freedom. We get joy. We get life. We get to be encouraged every moment because of what he has done. And if you are someone who is here today and you have been trying to make yourself acceptable to God, you have been living your own law that you feel like I can't even live up to my own law. I said, you know, I'm not going to do this today. And then you did that that day. Like, I don't. They would love to pray with you about that. They would love to help you in your understanding of what grace truly is and what reconciliation, not just between you and God, but you and other people begins to look like. Because there is a beauty that comes as a result of the gospel. And we want to be a people who live in the freedom of that. And there's offering boxes around the room. We are a generous people because God has been so generous with us. We do not pass a plate. When we give, it's a response to what God has already done. And that is why I think it teaches us to be generous. Because our God is a generous God. So you can give, you can give online, but we give as part of our worship. We'd also encourage you to grab those sermon notes. Maybe meet some other people for lunch this week, today. Uh, get involved in the gospel community and walk through some of these questions with each other. You know, what, what does true freedom mean? What are the places that lead you back into slavery? What things right now have their hooks in you? That's actually a performance-based model of trying to get God to love you. And how can you then be set into freedom and grace and life again? Because our God longs to set us free. I mean, really, it's the result of what the gospel brings. True freedom, true life, true grace. And we get to live in it. So be encouraged and live in joy. And when something feels so overwhelming, just take a step back and take a step back and remember, I want to focus on what Christ has done. Not this thing or what's happening right now. I'm going to find my joy there so I can step into whatever this thing is over here. And I will live in new life because new life has been given to me as a result of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would take this culmination of what Paul is saying today and we would truly begin to live in freedom. That we would trust you and no matter what comes our way, no matter what we start to walk through, it is for freedom that you have set us free. And that leads us to places of real and renewed worship of you. Because in reality, you are the only one who is worthy of worship. And when our lives are focused upon you, there's a completely different way in which we live. And so teach us to understand grace and the gospel 
in ways that lead to us understanding our freedom. And I ask that the strength that we gain from the gospel, from living in freedom, would lead us to be a people in this world who make a difference for your name that the people we come into contact with would see that you are everything to us. And that anything in our lives that is redeeming and good and noble is the result of what you have done, the gifts that you have given to us. And in understanding our freedom, that we would be in one another's lives in ways that remind each other of the great freedom that we've been given. And there would be a depth of joy that comes because of that freedom. Father, we live in a country that is called the land of the free. And yet the majority of people in this land of the free are still enslaved to their sin. And I ask that you would teach us what it truly means to be a people who get to live in your land of the free. Your hope. Your redemption. And that we would share that with one another so that we could truly be a free people in relationship with one another, bringing everything back to who you are. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. So drop the curtains. Uh, take a moment and just think about what I said a moment ago. What things in your life tend to lead you back into slavery? What things do you think if I do this, then God's going to be more happy with me? And if it's not that, you know, what things in your life do you feel pressured into by maybe other people that you have to do this thing in order to make them feel happy so you are accepted by them? Ask God's Spirit in the next few moments to reveal some of this to you of what things are truly keeping you in bondage and that you would then lay that down and understand what the gospel truly is and the results of that and you'd begin to live in freedom and joy. That you would be able to live a life that reflects the good news that God has first done for you and that people around you as well yourself would begin to see that and understand that. Freedom, hope, life, grace, goodness, it's all centered in Christ. It's not centered in ourselves. So ask God to kind of reveal that thing. What, what things even right now are kind of got their hooks in you? And lay that down in front of him and say, God, teach me to walk in freedom. And then come and take communion, sing some songs. Well, go finger paint outside or something. <laughs> and, and we'll step out in this world and be a free people who live reflecting the goodness of God in all things.